I won't pretend to know where each of you are at right now. I, I, I won't pretend to, to know what you're going through. What I will concede to is the fact that I'm aware of many connected to our church that you've been through, you're going through, or you're just trying to manage hurt today. I know this because just since December, this past December, our church family has been connected to so many we've had to say goodbye to. I know the sun comes up tomorrow, <laughs> but our hurt continues. We've said this goodbye to just so many. Miss Christine or Miss Clementine Calder, Mr. Woodrow Hunt, Miss Josephine Locklear, Miss Ella Mae Lewis, Mr. Tilford Hunt, Mr. Grant Carter, Mr. Terry Hunt, Miss Lena Locklear, and now Mr. Austin Chavis. Now, now I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sure I missed some. I'm sure I miss some. But these are just the few that we've had to say goodbye to that has a connection to this church family just since December. Because of the hurt that many of us are experiencing, I... Today, I, I just want to remind us of the goodness of God. Yes. Studying all week for one direction, and then last night, after Friday evening, just couldn't continue in that direction. So we, we just want to share that about the goodness of our God. One songwriter called God a good, good father. <laughs> and he is a good, good father. When we look in this passage today, we find that the children of Israel saw God as a good father. The passage begins as the second of the Halil Psalms or the Hallelujah Psalms. Uh, what it seems to be, it's believed that Psalms 146 to 150, that those five songs were written around the time where Israel had returned from the bondage of Babylon. After they returned from exile, they rebuilt the city walls of Jerusalem. They rebuilt their temple and they reestablished their nation. And, and these praise psalms were written to glorify the name of the Lord. All five of these songs begin and end with a call to praise the Lord. They all begin and end with the praise, praise the Lord. It's a reminder to us that no matter what our circumstances may look like, God is still on his throne Amen. and God is still good. 
we see that he is a good father because in this passage, we begin to see the power that he has to restore. As we look in this passage, it appears that the writer was ecstatic at the time of writing this psalm. He, he appears, can you imagine the joy that uh, of those who are celebrating the rebuilding of Jerusalem? It had laid, Jerusalem had laid waste by the Babylonians for nearly 70 years and, and to see where it was and, and to where God had brought it from, they had a reason to celebrate. They had a reason to praise the Lord. As a matter of fact, the city walls, when they were complete, the Bible tells us that there was a joy in Jerusalem that was heard from afar off. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah, who was instrumental in the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah says in Nehemiah 12 and 43 that also the day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. Listen, he says the women and children also rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. There's something that God just showed me here just a few minutes ago right there that the women and children also rejoiced. What that tells us men, if we're sitting on our tails and we don't, hey, we don't think we have anything to praise God about, it's us that needs to be leading our families in praising the Lord. We've got so much to praise him for. What audacity do we have to say we're spiritually minded men when we're afraid to praise God in front of our own families? The men led to praise because the Bible has there, it says, and the women and children. It's a reminder to us that God expects us to be kingdom men. He expects us to be spiritual leaders in our home. That doesn't mean we crack a whip at our wife. It means that we're gentle with her, but we lead her in understanding the goodness of God. We lead our children in understanding. How do we do that? We pray with them and we pray in front of them and not ashamed of it. And we're not ashamed to praise God. I know some of us, we watched a movie the other night and none of this is in my notes, but we watched a movie the other night and I told us before the movie began, you're going to laugh and you're going to cry. And I don't know how many of us was fighting back tears, but I saw, I watched that movie in my living room with my wife and I couldn't hold them back. I had to let them flow. It didn't matter whether she saw it or not. The movie was just so powerful. It was so themed with the word of God that we had to shed tears. I want to tell you, if you can watch that movie and not, and not shed tears, I'm wondering, have we lost an understanding of the goodness of God? Here, listen, let me get back to this message. Life Here, life had looked dim for them. Life had. It had looked so dim for, for so long for the children of Israel, but they found that, that God will honor his word. Jeremiah told Israel they, they, while they were exiled and while they were taken into a foreign land, God wanted them to build houses, plant gardens, eat of their fruit. He wanted them to take wives. He wanted them to have children. He wanted the, their children. He wanted them to help find their children, husbands and wives. And he wanted them to pray for Babylon. They were to seek peace in Babylon for 70 years. Because that's how long they would be there. Oh, wow. That looked dim for many. God went on to tell Jeremiah. 
in Jeremiah 29 and 11, that familiar verse that says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God was telling him, even though you're going to be in bondage for 70 years, you've got something to praise me for because I've got a vision for you. I got, I want you, I don't want you to, to be misled. I want you to prosper and there's coming a day when you will prosper. And I want to tell us, I don't know what kind of hurt we're going through right now. I don't know what's been bothering you this week what's been holding you back from really praising God but he desires your praise and when we begin to praise him he's going to break all the strongholds and free us to worship him the way he wants us to here after 70 years of captivity Babylon, God's people, they praised the Lord for bringing them home and restoring Jerusalem. The children of God were so grateful. They acknowledged that praising the goodness of God was good. You see right that right there in those first couple of verses. Praising the goodness of God, it's good. Why is it good to praise God's goodness? Because God delights in us singing his praises. Our praise is a sweet aroma to God. It's pleasant and it's beautiful. And folks, that's why each week Brother Marcus stands up here. That's why each week he leads us into our worship. That's why he gives us an opportunity to give praise to God. Because when we praise God, it's a sweet aroma to him. He gets something out of it. And the Bible says that it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Man, why would we take something from a God who's given us so much, who's given us a hope, who's given us a future, who's given us joy, who's given us peace, even in the midst of our hurt? Why would we want to take something beautiful from him? It's beautiful and it's pleasant. I want to tell you, I, I think that we should take the opportunity that we get to praise God, to pray that. You know, I sit there and I give you a lot of opportunity because I know I get to do it from here. <laughs> There's some preachers that are just, that start the service from the floor, but I want to give you the opportunity. There's some preachers that are just take the service over, but I want to give you the opportunity because I know I can get it out when I'm up here. <sighs> so don't feel like you're holding me back. <laughs> Don't feel like you're holding me back. We, we come here to praise the Lord each week. And I believe our praise should be so that the community hears it. What if it was heard afar off? What if the community would hear something going on in this place? You know what they'll do? They'll come to find out what's taking place. And when they come to find out, they'll find out one of two things. They're going to find out that we love to praise the Lord for his goodness. And they'll learn, they'll know that, that the Lord delights in our praise. Because the more we praise him, the more he'll bless us. Church family, we need to notice all, all that God has had done for them, all the marvelous things, all the reasons they were praising God for. He had restored the people. He had restored Jerusalem along with this marvelous temple that Solomon had built. Jerusalem and the temple had laid in waste. The wisest, the most skilled were taken captive. Some were exiled. Others who were physically, emotionally, and mentally challenged were, were left to fend for themselves. 
But now they're singing the praises to God because the Lord builds up Jerusalem. The Lord gathers the outcast of, outcast of Israel. The Lord healed the brokenhearted. The Lord bound up their wounds. The one who numbers the stars and calls them by name. The one who is great and mighty in power. The one who has all knowledge. He lifts the humble and he casts down the wicked. It may seem like the world is beating us up, but I want to assure you there's coming a day when that have to get off of us because we're going to rejoice with the Lord. He's setting us free. Those who God has restored back to their, their land were filled with an overflowing praise. Family, and I want to remind us today, we serve a God who's been good to us. When we were far from him and exiled into this sin-cursed world, he sent his only begotten son into this sin-cursed world for us. We wanted nothing to do with him. We, when we cursed him, when we beat him, when we rejected him, Isaiah 50, 53 and 5 says he was wounded. When we were cursing him, when we were rejecting him, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed he was doing that even in the midst of us wanting nothing to do with him because Jesus Christ the Messiah the anointed one the son of God became the sacrificial lamb of God to take away the sin of the world we who receive him as our savior not only are forgiven of our sins but we are restored to God God loved us so that he, it, God loved us so and he is so good to us that he set in motion his plan his plan not our plan but his plan to restore us to himself. When the blood of bulls and goats would no longer suffice for the forgiveness of our sins, God gave his son and his son gave his blood and his life for us. And now Jesus is gathering us to his father. He's healing our broken hearts. He's binding up our wounds. And for when we, when we humble ourselves to him and his will, no one can come against us. Because if we stand with him, we stand with all. Just standing with Jesus is standing with the king. The Bible tells us if God be for us, <laughs> who can be against us? We have a good, good father because he restores us. The children of Israel were not only praising the Lord, though, for his power to restore but they also praised him because God has the power to provide. Aren't you glad he provides for us? The people of Jerusalem rejoiced because the Lord had brought them back to a fertile land. A land that belonged to them. As a matter of fact, we can read throughout Jeremiah where, where even though they were being taken captive, God tells Jeremiah, you go purchase that land. You go purchase that land because they're going to come back to it. You go purchase it. Make sure no one else owns it because it's, your, it's yours. I'm giving it back to you. It's going to take a little while. You've got to be disciplined for your sin, but it's, it's going to come back to you. The Lord, the land that laid barren for more than 70 years. And now this barren land is going to become fruitful again. Here we notice in verses eight and nine, 
Bible says in 8 and 9, who covers the heavens with the clouds, who preserves rain, prepares rain for the earth, who makes the grass to grow on the mountains. He gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens that cry. They praise God for the rain that nourish this thirsty ground. God, let, let's remember that the land being laid, it was laid barren, but now God's providing the rain that's needed for the earth to yield its fruit. We can't miss the significance of this, folks, because when the grass grows, then the animals have something to eat. When the animals have something to eat, they begin to grow and they can produce milk and they can produce meat for us to eat. I want to tell you, God knows what he's doing and God, he began to replenish when he sends the rain. It's not for us to question when's it going to stop. It's for us to praise God that he's doing what he's doing because he's providing for you and I. Man, <laughs> look at this. I look at this and I just see how God is moving in here. He's working not only in their lives, but he's working for us. It's God's provision from, for earth. It meant that his people didn't have to be scavengers again. Instead, he was providing for them. And I remember David saying in, in the 37th Psalm that I was, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor the descendants of God begging bread. He's reminding us God will provide everything that we need. Family, God has provided to such greatness that the grass he spoke of, it grew on the mountainside. Man, can you imagine that grass was growing on the mountain? You know, it can't do it itself. When the mountain gets to certain elevations without God actually doing it, it the grass is not going to grow up there. Here's the truth. Grass grows in the valley. In the valleys where all the nutrients are and it becomes plush and it becomes green. And on the hills, on the, on the tops of the mountains, you'll see where it's barren. You'll see where it's snow. You'll see where it's cold, where it's bitter, where nothing grows well. But I want to tell you, when God's working, when God's moving, when God's giving us his promises, we can see the grass even grow on the mountains. But he don't just provide for the land. He provides for his people. God's people praised him for providing for their needs. God longs for us to trust him for all our needs. The strength of man nor animals means anything to God. As a matter of fact, he says that here. He says in verse 10, he says, God does not delight in the strength of a horse. He doesn't take pleasure in the legs of a man. In other words, the strength of animals or man means nothing to him. The strength of the horse and for the hardworking farmer, they, they were primary resources in this day. So when, when they're writing this psalm and they're singing this psalm, they understood exactly what they were writing and what they were singing. Because here what we find is while the, the horse and the farm or the horse and man, they were used for warfare. They were used for farming. It still wasn't something God was rejoicing in. Psalm 33, 17, 16 through 17 says, no king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by his strength or by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. But you know what the Bible tells us God delights in? 
He delights in those who will trust him. He's pleased when we place our hope in his mercy. Because there in Psalm 33 in verse 18, he says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. For for us to place our hope in the Lord, we must wait expectantly on the Lord. In other words, we must wait knowing he's going to show up. He may not show up when we want him to, but he'll show up when he needs to. He'll show up when we need him to. He's going to honor his word. Here's the picture. When we look in these Psalms, we look in these verses. I've just read the picture His here is that after a farmer has done all he can do, after he has plowed, after he has planted fields and you all of you here will understand this the the farmers have to wait for God to do what only God can do we can only go so far I made the strength of a man the strength of an animal the strength of machines it means nothing to God because the only way plants will come out of the ground is by God giving them what they need James 5 and 7 says therefore be patient Brethren, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for his precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rains. You know, farmers and Brother Philip attest to this. They can put out all the nitrogen. They can put out all the fertilizer. They can put out the plant. They can do everything at the right time. But if God doesn't send the rain. Oh, folks, let me tell, let me help us with this a little bit. We can read all the Bible we want and we can, we can come to this place dressed as good as we can. But if God's spirit isn't in the house, it means nothing. But when he brings the rain, we'll rejoice and we'll praise him. Folks, I don't know how God's blessed each of you, but I know he's blessed us all. (laughs) Everything we have is due to his provision. Some have said, well, I'm a self-made man. Well, I beg to differ. No one is a self-made man. We don't have the intelligence nor the ability to make ourselves. As a matter of fact, contrary to popular belief, without God in the midst, no child is born on this earth. And people can say what they want about unwed mothers, but every child that comes into this earth, God knew them before the foundation of the world. They were meant to be here. This world can say it's okay. They're not a child until they're, until they're actually born. But I want to tell you, they're wrong. God knew Jeremiah's name before he was in his mother's womb. And God knew your name before you were in your mother's womb. I want to shock you here. I'm going to mess you up a little bit. Right now, the book of life, it is sealed. And only Jesus would unseal it. What that means is God knows whether you're going to receive him or not. You don't know. I don't know. But God knows. God knows everything that's ever come through this world. Don't you let these legislators don't you let these legislators fool you into thinking it's alright. It's alright to kill an embryo. It's alright to kill one that hasn't been actually born. I want to tell you God knows them. And God has a plan for them. A plan for them to prosper. 
plan for them to have a hope. Many men have declared, I've worked hard and I have a great, and I've gained a great life on my own. <laughs> but without God giving you strength, you would have not worked a day in your life. Without God opening your eyes, you would have never saw a day of work. Without God giving you the ability and the knowledge to do what you've done, you would have never done what you've done. <laughs> We would not have any kind of life on our own. God provides everything. Well, wait a minute, preacher. What if I'm not serving him? He's still providing for you. You ought to praise him. You ought to praise him that he had given you all that you've got and you not serve him. You ought to praise him. Let everything to have breath, praise ye the Lord. You can't worship him, but you need to praise him because everything that you have is because of him. The food that we eat, the clothes that we wear, the shelter that we have all over our head, the love we experience, the victories that we all have come, they all come from the Lord. He's the source of everything and he sustains our lives. Look around, church family, look around. God's provided this big family for you. <laughs> look around. Everyone that's here, God's provided this family for you. He's the source of all provision. And when we realize this and we trust him rather than our own resources, he will be delighted in us because we have no other choice but to praise him. Amen. Yes, he is a good, good father. So let's look to him who has that power to restore and the power to provide. The songwriter said, you bore the cross, you bear the scars. You're my bright and shining star. You gave me sight that I might see the kind, the kind of man that I should be. You came to die to set me free, almighty God. He is a mighty God. And he wants to be your mighty God. What would prevent you today? What would prevent you today from receiving the God who restores and the God who provides? And I don't know anything on earth worth rejecting him for. He wants to restore you. And he wants to provide for you what you can't provide for yourself. I searched for joy. I searched for peace. I searched for contentment. And I couldn't find it until I found Jesus. When I come to know Jesus as my savior, he filled me with his joy. He filled me with his peace. And he's teaching me to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. 
I'm learning that it's not about getting more, <laughs> but it's, it's about having more of him. I'm as saved as I'll ever be. <laughs> I'll never be more saved than I am right now. But I didn't do anything but receive what was offered to me. I couldn't do it on my own. He reached down and touched me. I didn't find him because I weren't looking for him. He found me in my mess. And he's never walked away. Oh, if you're wanting someone to love you, to hold you, to give you joy and peace. If you want someone to fill you with contentment, to teach you to be who he'd have you to be, it's found in Jesus. God sent him to this earth for you so that you could have eternal life and live for eternity with him. Would you today? As every head's bowed, every eyes closed, maybe there's someone here who's been seeking a better life. Maybe you're just tired of being weary, tired of being weak, tired of doing things on your own. You're just ready today to give it to Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, I realize that I am a sinner. And I can't fix this on my own. I believe your son, Jesus Christ, he came, he bled, and he died for me. He arose from the grave, and he's at your right hand. Your Holy Spirit has revealed this to me. So God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I receive Jesus. As my Savior. God, I believe. And now I confess. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Now help me to live for you. Oh, this simple prayer meant from the bottom of your heart can make all the difference. But you've got to believe this. You've got to believe for yourself. You've got to confess him. If you have today, would you come and just tell me?